But good morning again, and thank you so much for just being a part of our online worship gathering from where you're at on your couch or in your car, wherever it is you may be listening or watching. It really does mean a lot to have you guys tuning in and somehow trying to stay connected as a Re3 community and maybe even having some new folks added to our community over these last several weeks. Well, if you guys tuned in last week, you know that we kicked off a brand new series. We're, we're simply entitling Victorious. You know, we talked about how too many times as believers, as Christians, we walk around with our heads down like, like we are the ones that have already been defeated. Or we feel like that this battle that we face, and we all face battles, there's, there's always these fights that, that, are, that are ongoing every single day, that for whatever reason we feel like we're in this battle for our life and, and that we're fighting for this um, victory that may never come. When if we look at the scriptures, that's not true at all. Because the scriptures tell us that if we're not fighting for a victory, we're actually fighting from a victory. The minute Jesus was resurrected, the second he was resurrected, victory is ours. The battle has been won. But so why do we walk around feeling like this, this battle is, is beating us down? It's because we walk around fighting this battle, believing that we're fighting a battle of flesh and blood. That this battle is, is against our spouse, or this battle is against our landlord, or against our, our boss. When it's none of those things, our, our battle is not against the flesh and blood. And in fact, Paul wrote an entire letter that addressed the situations. He wrote it to the church of Ephesus, and, and that region was not a Christian region. And, and the Christians there at the church of Ephesus felt discouraged. They felt like they were in this battle for their life continuously. And Paul wrote them this letter from a prison cell, mind you. He wrote them this letter of encouragement, a letter of encouragement about thanking them for their faith, lifting them up as children of the light, encouraging them as husband and wives, encouraging them as parents. And then he gets into chapter 6, and that's where I want to read to you again this morning. Um, if your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're just going to read a few verses as we continue on with this brand new series called Victorious. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because here it is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your boss. It's not against the bank. But against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on your full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then here's going to be our verse this morning, verse 14. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. If you would, pray for me as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much again for um, reminding us that, that, the, that the battle has been won. The ultimate victory is already in hand. That we're not fighting for victory, we are actually fighting from a victory. Lord, I pray that over these next several weeks and, and even this morning as we continue into your word, that you'll remind us of this victorious life which we should be able to live. But we can only live it in a way if we are properly equipped. We have to be equipped for this supernatural battle in the heavenly realms. 
And Lord, we, we start this morning by placing our armor on ourselves. We start with this belt of truth. And I pray, Lord, that the truth is what we hear this morning, even if for some of us um, it may be hard to hear. It's something that maybe we've, we've bought into a lie for way too long, and maybe it doesn't even make sense. But I pray this morning that this truth comes through loud and clear. Let the Holy Spirit speak to our lives, speak truth to our mind, and ignite our soul in victory. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Look, we've all lied, right? And probably have asked for a show of hands. Probably 90% of you have already lied this morning, right? I mean, that's just the way life is. There's little white lies. There's big lies. There's little things that we lie about so we don't hurt other people's feelings. As kids, we see this. It's like we're just inherently born to, to, to lie about things. I remember as a kid, even my own kids, but I know it was definitely true for me at the time when I was little and I would, I would get in trouble and maybe I would, I would break something that meant something of value to my parents. And my dad would come and he'd be like, Michael, did you break this? Immediately, before I could even think about it, what do I say? No. Right? I mean, that was just it. It was like, it was like, it was like a switch. Did you break this? No. All right? And then my dad would pull out the belt of truth. Now, it was a different belt than what I'm talking about, but he would immediately say, oh, really? And he started pulling out the belt, and then all of a sudden, it was like the amnesia cleared. Oh, Dad, oh, yeah, I do remember. I do remember what happened, you know? And then all of a sudden, the truth would come out. Well, when we talk about the belt of truth this morning, we're not so talking about so much talking about the lies that we tell others as much as the lies that we believe ourselves. I call this the George Costanza theory. One of my favorite television shows of all time is Seinfeld. And then if you're a Seinfeld fan, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jerry has got himself in a situation where he's having to take a lie detector to, to prove to his girlfriend he's telling the truth about something, when really he's lying. And so what does he do? He sits down with the one person who he knows lies better than anybody, his best friend George. And so he's asking George, how do you do it? How do you lie? All the, you know, going on and on. And George looks at him and he says, Jerry... And he says this, it's not a lie if you believe it. And Jerry just looks at him like a light bulb went off, like, of course, that makes perfect sense. It's not a lie if you really believe it. But here's the thing, we walk around believing lies and we live our lives in a way, but it's not the truth because we're living them a lie. We believe we've bought into a lie. We really believe this lie. And here's the thing, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. I want you to hear that again. Always, a lie that is believed as truth will always affect your life as though it were true. Now, Jesus, he doesn't pull any punches. And when Jesus, his short time here on this earth and his short three or four year ministry shared a lot about truth. And particularly in the book of John, we're able to read exactly where this origin of lies comes from. And in John chapter 8, Jesus says this. This is Jesus speaking. He's talking about the devil. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's pretty, I mean, that's, you, you can't get any more clear than that. Jesus is saying, look, when Satan speaks, he's speaking his native language. 
I've had the opportunity to go on lots of mission trips, and sometimes uh, we take mission trips into countries where um, everybody predominantly speaks English, but sometimes we go into countries where no one speaks English, and I don't understand a word they're saying. I, I am not fluent in anything except English and Southern. That's it. That is like all I can understand, and I'm not very good at one of those. And so, so that's kind of life. So I get in some of these other countries, and I don't understand what they're saying. And, and it's like, what, what are they even saying? It's their native language that they're speaking. And by the end of the week, or the, however long it is that I'm there, I start to pick up and understand what this word may mean or what this phrase may mean. And I start to understand a little bit more about their native language. And I thought about that this week as I was thinking about what Jesus was talking about here. He's saying, look, we understand just a little bit about Satan's native language. And it's just enough to get us into trouble. So I've been in those countries, and, you know, and I, I think I understand the language better than I do. And I'll start trying to talk, and they just look at me like, like, what, what are you, where are you from? Are you from another planet? Like, like that's not even our language. Like, what, what are you doing? But we understand just enough about Satan's native language that it's harmful to us. And Jesus is saying, look, every time he talks, every time he speaks, it is his native language. It is nothing but lies, because he is the father of lies. But then here's what Jesus says about the truth. Jesus says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This freedom is something that we all long for. We've all believed lies way too long about ourselves. And there's something inside of us and we can't really put our finger on it, but we know it's a lie. But we don't understand like it doesn't make sense. It's like some kind of crazy equation that just can't be cracked. And so we end up just saying, you know what? I can't explain it. I think it's a lie. I believe it's a lie. It goes against what I feel in the deepest parts of my soul. I just want to be free from it. But I just can't break free. That's the lies that we've bought into. It's the lies that we've believed about ourselves. Because see, the devil, this father of lies, when he shares these lies with us, when he whispers these lies into our soul, they're going into our mind. The devil does nothing but plays mind games with us. And he plays mind games in two different ways. The first way is this. The enemy, Satan, always imitates God. Always. You think about Jesus when he was being tempted. What did he do? He kept showing up and, and quoting verses and taking them out of context, trying to imitate God and trying to tempt Jesus to do something that was totally apart from the will of God. Paul writes to the church of Corinthians, he says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of the light. That masquerade, he, he puts on a mask. It's not who he really is, but he masquerades. He acts like he's an angel of delight because he wants to imitate God just enough that we'll follow him and not the real God. So not only does Satan imitate God, he also deceives. That's the other part of the mind game. He continues writing in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the, serpent's, by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is Paul writing a warning to the church of Corinth saying, look, don't be deceived by these mind games. You, you have an enemy that, that is trying his best to imitate God, and he, all he wants to do is deceive you just enough to get you off course. 
And he, Paul goes all the way back and he brings up Eve. He says, remember what happened to her? Remember the things that she believed? We, we understand now and we can look at her life and we can read the stories and we understand that she believed a lie. Was the exact same author of that lie as who's speaking to you right now. The book of James talks about our mind this way. He says, we are double-minded. And he says, a double-minded person is unstable. You think about somebody in your life that you would label unstable, right? Why are they unstable? It's probably because there's times when you're around them and they're perfectly fine. They're calm, their temperament is good, they're patient, they're happy, everything is great. And then the next time you're around them, or maybe the littlest thing just kind of sets them off and they just explode. And you're like, and you literally, when you approach them, you don't know who you're going to get. That is an unstable person because they are double-minded. See, here's the thing about Satan, the author of lies. He doesn't want your whole mind. He doesn't want my whole mind. All he wants to do is build a partition right down the middle of it. He'll let God have all he wants on one half. Just give Satan the other. So that's why we're able to come to church on Sundays and worship God and sing worship music. We're able to wake up in the mornings and, and read our Bible and go to Bible studies and, and memorize scripture and listen, listen to, to Caleb or whatever it is on our radio and listen to these worship songs throughout the day. But then all of a sudden we find ourselves in addictions or find ourselves saying things or treating people ways or, or doing things that we know we shouldn't do. And all of a sudden we're like, who am I, right? Like this morning, I was singing praises to God, and all of a sudden tonight, when everybody's going to bed, I'm like looking at things on the internet that I shouldn't be looking at. Like that is a double-minded person, because Satan doesn't care if you worship God. He doesn't care if you read your Bible. He doesn't care if you sing worship songs. As long as he has that partition in your brain, in your mind, so he can have his little part. Because as long as he has a little bit of you, he has all of you. So how do we break it? How do we get past these mind games? How do we shake our mind free of these lies? It takes a renewing of our mind. We have to be able to renew our mind and even renew it daily. So how do we do it? Three ways. Three ways to renew our mind. Number one, we have to recognize the enemy's lies. We have to recognize the enemy's lies. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There's been a lot of good people whose lives have ended tragically because they followed the wrong path. They thought they were going the right way. They were deceived. They were following an imitation God, and it led them to death. So the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize the enemy's lies. And one of the things that he does, maybe the first thing that enemy wants to do, is he wants us to believe lies about ourselves. Lies such as this. My worth is determined by what I do and what others think of me. That may be one of the biggest lies that we believe. That our worth is determined what other people think of us. That if they think we're great, then we're great. If they think we're bad, then we're bad. Why is cyberbullying and suicide so connected? It's because today our lives are so wrapped up in, in social media and anybody can say anything they want to to us from, from any corner of the earth. 
and we hear these things and we believe these things about ourselves. And if they're bad, if people are speaking literally death into us, what do we begin to believe about ourselves? That we're worthless. And if you take away someone's worth, you take away their hope. And if you take away their hope, what do they have left? So Satan wants us to believe that our worth is determined by what we do and what people think about us. They all, he also wants us to believe that I am just the way I am and I can't change. That this addiction that I have, this temptation that I have, these things that I have going on in my life that is this constant battle, that it's just how I am and I'm never ever going to be fixed and God can't do anything and, and I guess I'm just broken. And that's not true at all. God is a God of redemption. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of taking what is broken and putting it back together even better than it was before. But Satan wants us to believe that we're too broken. That our past or even our present situations, that we're so damaged that God can't do anything for us. We also believe the lie, and this is the lie that destroys community is that if you really knew me, then you wouldn't like me. We see that, don't we? With the people that even we're closest to, even the people that we would call our best friends, maybe even the people we live with, like our spouses or our kids. It's like, man, if they really knew the real me, then they wouldn't like me. And she wouldn't want to marry me. He wouldn't want to marry me. My kids would would disown me or, or my best friend would leave me. If they really knew me, And so what happens is we become the person that masquerades as children of light. When in reality we're broken and we're bruised and we struggle just like everyone else. But Satan convinces us that we have to put up a mask. Or we'll have no community, we'll have no friends. We'll have no one that will love and care for us. The other way that that he gets into our heads with these lies is he tells us lies about the meaning of life and happiness. In fact, if you look around today, he convinces us of this, that money is what provides security and happiness. Let's face it, our world has been turned upside down financially. Businesses are closing, people are furloughed, people have lost their jobs, bank accounts are being drained, stock markets are, are, are tanking. And there's a lot of people on this planet that put all of their hope and happiness into that bank account. And when that cash flow has started to dry up, what happens? We lose our purpose for life and we lose our joy and our happiness because everything was tied to finances. Or, or maybe he convinced us, he lied to us and believe, makes us believe that the meaning of life and the way that we find happiness is through relationships like through other people. Like, man, if I could just find Mr. Wright or if I could just find Mrs. Wright, then my life would be complete and everything would be great. That's why there's a lot of really bad relationships right now. And there are people that are getting hurt over and over and over again because they've bought into this lie that if they could just find that special person, then they'd finally be happy and their life would mean something. Or how about this, in light of the lie of uh, purpose of life and happiness? If I just had control, then I could be happy. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that we don't have control at all. 
We don't get, have control over when our kids go to school. We don't have control over when we get to go to work. For a while, we haven't even had control over when we get to go to church. We don't have nearly as much control as we thought we had. But we believed we had it. And as long as we believed we had control, we thought we were happy. And then the minute we lose control, what happens? Our whole life is turned upside down. The other thing that he does, he tells us lies about God. How about this? The more I do for God, the more God will love me. The more God will accept me. Have you been there? I think as Christians, we've all probably been there at some point. That man, if I could just go to church one more day, if I could just go on one more mission trip, if I could just give a little bit more money, then I'll impress God and, and he'll love me more. We, we turn this relationship with God into something that's conditional. We turn it into something that's transactional. That we buy into that lie that Satan tells us that the more I do for God, the more he will love me, the more he will bless me. Or how about this one? What I've done in my life is too bad for God to ever forgive. That there's something in your past or something going on and you just look at yourself in a mirror and maybe you're disgusted with yourself. And so you project that as God's imagery of you. And you believe that God is disgusted with you. When it's quite the opposite. God loves you. He sees you for who you are. He knows your brokenness. He knows your scars. He knows your pain. And he loves you anyway. But we believe all of these lies. And so what we need to do if we want to truly renew our mind is we need to recognize these lies. We need to recognize when we're being lied to. If you ever parent, you kind of know when your kids are lying, right? I mean, it's just kind of like a, a new parental sixth sense. And I didn't know it. Like when I was a kid, I was convinced at times that I, I had my parents snowed. And now I think back and I'm like, my parents didn't believe anything I ever said. Like, why should they, right? You know, there's times when like we'll ask our kids something and they'll answer me. And I know they're lying. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you one chance to tell me the truth because I know the truth. All right, Dad, you know, and it, but you just recognize. And that's the way we have to get with Satan's lies. Like when we hear these lies about God or about ourselves or about the meaning of life, when we hear these things, we just have to call them out and say, no, those are lies because they go against Scripture. It goes against what I know that God feels about me and how he views me. We have to recognize the lies of the enemy. The second thing we have to do is we have to resist those lies. We have to recognize them and we have to resist them. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Even Jesus, when he was like dealing with his knucklehead disciples, and they would get in these fights, and they would, you know, be all stuff be going on, Jesus would even call them out. And one time in Matthew, he says this, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. We have the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit power all over you. You have the power to resist the lies of Satan. You do not have to go to bed at night and lay your head on, on the pillow and believe all the garbage that Satan is telling you. You don't. We have the power to resist that. We have the power to say no. We can recognize it's a lie. We can put our foot down. We can quote scripture. We can do whatever you want, but you can say, I'm not going to believe that, and I'm not going to let that lie influence my life 
anymore. We have to recognize the lies of the enemy and we have to resist the lies of the enemy. And then the third thing, once we do those two, the third one just naturally comes. We have to renew our mind with truth. We have to renew our mind with the truth. Romans says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And David writes in Psalm 124, We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. We've got to renew our mind. When Paul was sitting in that jail cell and he was writing this letter to the church there in Ephesus and he was looking at this Roman soldier and looking at all of his armor and how everything was put together, he realized that this belt is what held everything together. You lose the belt, you lose it all. And so Paul said, all right, what is the one thing, what is the one foundational thing that seems to trip up so many believers? What is the one thing that we need to put on first before we put on anything else? And what Paul came up with was we have to be buckled up with the truth. Because we can't believe these lies. Because the minute we start to believe a lie, that lie starts to affect our lives. And it affects the way that we conduct our marriage. It affects the way that we conduct our business. It affects the way that we parent our children or the way that we go to church. It affects the way that we run um, our business or go to, go, to our, go to our jobs. It affects the way that, that we, we hang out in community with one another. Paul realized that the moment we stop believing the truth and the minute we start believing these lies from the author and the father of lies, it has a domino effect in every single area of our lives. So Paul said, when we start putting on this armor, this supernatural armor, we've got to start with the truth. We have to recognize the lies of the enemy. We have to resist the lies of the enemy. And we have to renew our mind with the truth. And the truth this morning that I want you to hear more than anything else is that God loves you. That God is the forgiver of sins. That he has grace and mercy and kindness waiting for you. It's not about how others view your self-worth. It's not about how you even view yourself. It's not about what your past and present situation is like. It's about God's unending love for you. And this morning, I invite you to accept that truth, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Together, let's recognize the lies of the enemy. Let's speak truth and resist those lies. And together, let's renew our mind with the buckle of truth. Amen.